Those in the house, those online, wherever you're at, thank you. We want to lift up our churches in uh, India, in Africa, those of, uh, who are helping us to do the work that God has given us in different parts of the earth. Welcome and blessings. Next week, uh, we're preparing a little presentation for you to show you the building progresses that are going on in uh, two continents, both Africa and India with Touch Heaven Churches. Not many of you are probably really aware of those works and what's going on, and both churches are in the process of building right now. And uh, we're going to believe God that we're going to be able to help them. I want to uh, honor and recognize um, Pastor Anwar and Pastor Nita who are in the house. Would you stand up and wave to everybody, please? And uh, we honor them so much. We are so honored that they are part of our family and we're part of your family and uh, in the work that God has given you to do throughout the earth, both of you. We praise God for that. We praise God for the television ministry and for the church. Uh, that being said, uh, we do all know that uh, there's, while we might be enjoying peace and think that we're under some stress, we know that there are some places in the earth right now that are under serious duress. Let's continue to pray for those that are in Afghanistan, and that's the ones that we see on television. But there are areas of other parts of the world that are under the same type of suppression. It's just become so commonplace and so day-to-day -day that we don't even acknowledge it anymore. Um, in Russia, you have people that are, are being persecuted terribly. In China, terrible persecutions. Uh, in other parts of some Mideast countries, terrible persecutions, and uh, other areas of the world that are still suffering uh, a lot of loss and a lot of despair. Which brings us to the point that there is really only one way to find solace and comfort. And it's not going to be by trying to turn on the news and hope that a national leader is going to say something that's going to deliver uh, you or me from what's at hand. What's at hand uh, isn't really on our home front yet, but what's at hand is what the Lord had prophesied. And that gross darkness would cover the earth, but that the glory of the Lord would rise up upon us. Now, beloved, we don't need to get into debates about eschatology. Um, I think that's just a foolish exercise. I think that what we need to do is discern the times and be realistic and to understand God. And when we discern these times, we realize that it's as if an egg timer has been turned over and that the sand is funneling down. And as it's getting closer and closer, it's speeding up and it's spiraling. Yes, the Lord can put a pause on it and he can halt it for a moment and he can let it go again. But at the spiraling speed of which this world is turning into darkness, the Lord has one word for us. Be sober. Be anxious. Watch for the Lord. And the last promise of the Bible, since we're talking about promises, is come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the last promise. And in that instance, we understand that that's something that he mentioned to us 
even as he told his disciples that he would return so that in our hearts we would know at the time that that promise is supposed to mean something. The promises of God are there and they're activated by faith. The promises of God are activated by the word that we confess, the declarations that we say, the prayers that we make. But those promises lay dormant until we are the ones that agitate them and wake them up and put them in action. I want to deal with a continuation of the series that began uh, 10 parts ago. And uh, I don't know when the ending is. I didn't have any idea that it was going to go a while, but it's all sort of knitting together. And at that time, we had started in on the title of that series is Walk the Talk on the Wild Side of New Creation Living. We are new creations in Christ. And for the last few weeks, we have been talking about truth. What is truth? Well, he is truth. Truth is a person. And we talked about how confused Pontius Pilate was when he was uh, challenged with the truth of the Jews and the truth of the mob and his own truth and then the truth standing right before him. And the mob mentality caused him to just simply say, what, I wash my hands of this. If that's your truth, it's relevant. Well, truth is not relevant. Truth is not subjective. Truth is something that we should be able to hold on to and understand and grasp because the truth is found in, in our Lord, in our Savior, in our Father, in the Holy Spirit. That is real truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. He also is the way and he is the life. He is the truth. And one of the building blocks that we have, these truth blocks, are called the promises of God. And when we grasp these, when we internalize them, when we put them in action in our life and believe, then these blocks, these promise truth blocks, they construct what is a firm foundation. The entire theme, the entire goal, the, the basis of ministry that we pursue, yes, that all should come to know Jesus Christ and see only gospel we preach, but for edifying and building up believers, which is what must happen right now. How many of you know that you, know, you can't go in to a situation, any situation, even if it's not a battle, even if it's just a situation at work, if it's a situation at home, if you are unprepared, then you are most likely going to have at least a difficult time, if not to experience failure. We need to be those who are building up in Jesus Christ. We need to be those who are building a firm foundation in the Word of God, in the revelation of God, using building blocks, putting each one fitly placed into our faith system. We have a faith system. Faith systems grow. Nobody receives a great faith all at once. You may receive great faith revelations, but you have to put it at work. And you don't even know what that faith is going to manifest until it does. Is that not correct? And we've all seen the analogy that comes, a true analogy out of scriptures, about King David who was a little shepherd boy, correct? He received a promise of God. We don't know how he received it out in that shepherd field, but he knew that God was going to use him mightily. He knew looking at nothing but sheep, being the one that was cast out, if you will, from the family, 
all of the other brothers receiving great assignments, going off, and here it rested upon the youngest one, the smallest one, to tend to the family's economy, the sheep. And there he was alone. How many of you would send out a son, a little boy, nine, ten years old, into the wilderness with nothing but a staff? To, to tend the sheep. Well, that was what God had sent him out to do. So you can imagine, and there he had his little harp, and there he had his little flute. And in that place, he, he learned to worship God, and he learned to spend his nights not just listening to the baa of the sheep, but seeking the ear and the promises of God in his life. And that's one of the keys that we need in order to receive the promises of God and to internalize them. We need to separate ourselves unto God to hear. Myself, in the last few weeks, I have been requiring myself to take some time. I typically am so busy, I jump out early in the morning and I get going and then I try to find time and I get some of my prayer time in between. But now I've begun to meditate more on the quietness of God and to allow Him to soak and to allow me to get into His presence and to hear what it is He has to say. And it's amazing. I should not be amazed after this so many years in the Lord, but it's amazing how He targets and focuses right in on what I need for that day or what somebody else needs for that day that he has prepared me to be a steward in a ministry of one of his promises. And so there David stood in the, in, the, in the night, the solitude of the night. Who knows what he heard? I mean, you can imagine out in the wilderness, you hear animals, you hear hoots, you hear howls, you hear twigs snapping. You don't know if marauders are coming to try and steal the sheep. That's what was happening in those times. It wasn't just quiet in the middle of a field in Ohio with a corral around it. It was in the midst of, a, of, 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 the, of the desert and in the midst of the wilderness. And in that place, God began to bestow promises upon that young boy. He may not have even understood what they were. They may not have been specific, but he realized that there was something special when he connected to God. And then God challenged him. How many of you know that the promises of God for you and I never really activate unless we're tested? Do they? The promises of God don't activate unless we're tested. You could say, well... There was a time when I really wasn't understanding God, but yet I still believe He was guiding me. Of course, He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He's passionate. He's hungry. He thirsts for each and every soul. But the promises of God in our lives don't really mean anything until we're tested, and then they activate. You don't know what healing really is until you experience healing or somebody that you're desperately requiring a healing for is healed. You don't know what it means to not be well until you're not well. You don't know what it means to be poor until you're in poverty. And you know, poverty is subjective, is it not? We think that we're in poverty because we don't have enough money or any money in the bank. But those that are really in poverty, they don't have a meal to eat today. They don't have hope for another meal tomorrow. They have no water to drink. They're wretched both in their life and many times in their soul. We don't understand what it means for the promises of God that He will supply all our needs until we need our needs supplied. He doesn't say all our wants. He says all of our needs. He says He will give us the desires of our heart. That's another promise of God. But He will give us the desires of our heart on condition. 
And one of the ways that promises are activated are conditional. Another way is God just speaks them. God declares them and they come, they're unilateral, and there's nothing for us to do but to say, I believe, I believe. And then there are promises that are made by people of God through the Word of God to other people of God. Still God speaking. And that's why we need to be good stewards of the Word and the promises of God. That little boy sitting out there in the nighttime, day after day, night after day, can you imagine that his fellowship was with sheep? Can you imagine how excited he was when he, he got to fellowship with his family a little bit or with his brotherhood? His fellowship was with sheep. And so that really left him only one thing, talk to the sheep or talk to God. And I believe he probably did both. And in that instance, we understand God tested him. God tested to see if that little boy that God was raising up to be courageous and who believed that he could do whatever God asked him to do and whatever he needed to do in the wilderness with nothing but a staff in his hand if he needed to. So what does God do? God sends something that would scare the, as they would say in, 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 in by God, West Virginia, the bejesus out of you. God sent a bear. And, and here's a little boy with a bear, and he had one assignment, protect the sheep. Protect the sheep. Protect the economy of the family, but do it as unto the Lord. And then God raises up the courage of that little boy, and his faith goes from mere promises of God protecting him in the middle of the night to the fact that he had what? Faith to kill a bear. Bear faith. And the same happens for you and I. Our faith increases as we receive and believe and activate the promises of God in our life. But that wasn't enough because the Lord knew what was waiting for this young man. He knew what was going to come upon him just as he does for you. Now let me take a, a, a little interlude for a moment. And I want to say this with all sincerity. I believe that many, many people never get to the place that God has really called us to be in destiny because we stop short of the promises of God. We don't activate them. We don't step out. We don't keep our souls blameless. We get distracted. And that could have happened with that young man, but yet he stayed the course. And you would have thought that that would have been enough to be promoted onto something else, but it wasn't enough because the bear wasn't the most fierce beast that he had to have dominion over. Now, let's talk about the first promises of God in Scripture. I'm not going to take the time to read them. You do yourself. Go to Genesis 1. The first promises of God, obviously, was what he put in motion with creative creation, but the very first promise that God made to man was he gave man, species man, both male and female, dominion over the things of the earth. Sovereignty, control, so how can we rely on the other promises of God if we don't believe God for the very first promises of God? And the first promises of God is that you are made a very supernatural creature. Above all other creatures that we know of in creation, here on this earth, you are the one that has the most supernatural power of anybody else. He has given you the ability to be sovereign with dominion over everything that is created here on earth. That's dominion. But you don't know you have dominion until you need dominion. How many of you have ever found yourself uh, being challenged by an animal, a dog, a wild animal, and it came upon you suddenly and uh, you had choices? 
you knew enough that if you ran, that wasn't a good thing to do unless it couldn't run as fast as you. You knew you had to do something to stand it off. And if we understand whom we are, then we should walk in no fear, even as that little shepherd boy didn't walk in fear. One of the promises that I am sure he internalized to himself out there by himself was, I have dominion over this. I might be here alone. I might be small and frail and not look like much in structure. I may only have a staff which wouldn't do too much with a wild animal. I can imagine he might have played it out in his mind many times what he would do if a bear came. Maybe he thought he would just beat it with a stick or throw stones at it and chase it away. I don't think he ever, ever wondered that he would go after it with these bare hands. And that wasn't enough. The Lord said, no, I've got more for you to do, but I'm going to test you in the promises of God. Do you really believe you have dominion? Do you really believe that in the name of Jesus, you can speak to that mountain and that mountain will be removed? Do you really believe that it only takes that little bit of mustard faith, shepherd boy faith, little faith in order to accomplish what God has put before you? Don't listen to what man says. Man has no control over your destiny unless we give man control over our destiny. They may interrupt us for a moment. They may try to steal the desires of our heart. But in the morning comes the joy of the Lord and comes the deliverance of the Lord. That nighttime shall pass. And so if somebody is holding you back from what you believe is yours, begin to rejoice in the Lord. Take authority over that. That's what that word authority is given to. It's not really, it is in the scripture, but it's not in scripture. It's an interpretation of dominion. Take dominion. Be with sovereign God over that. Ask God to hold him to his promise for you. God is pleased. Without faith, you can't please God. That's why he's pleased with faith. Because when we step out like that, we're saying, Lord, I believe you. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, that's enough to go to heaven. That's enough for eternal life. But it's not enough for an abundant life. Christ said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And abundance can only come when we walk in that understanding in activating the promises of God in our life. And when you begin to read Scripture, asking Him and discerning that these are promises of God for you in your life, promises for your families, promises for your children, promises for your workplace, promises for everything that you do, that's when that word comes alive in the promises of God. Abraham walked out with one only promise of God. Come out, and I'm going to make you great. Well, he came out, he didn't know what happened. It wasn't so good when he first came out. He had to believe God. And he came out, some of his family with him. Some I think he wished he would have left behind after a while. They didn't play out so well. How about us? We all have family. Some we wish we would leave behind sometimes. But... Abraham always was able to believe God for the promise. The entire chapter of Hebrews in 11, the chapter of faith, the hall of faith, it's based upon those people who believed the promises of God, and some of them never actually realized them in their lifetime. They were a promise carrier for the next generation. How many of you know that you are promise carriers? 
You are promise carriers. You may not see the fulfillment of everything that God has promised and that you believe, but if you carry that promise, it shall pass on to your seed. The Lord promised Abraham. He said, I will let you see the promises I have given to you and your seed. And your seed. Seed. Now, some have said that the seed is only Jesus Christ, but no, sometimes people narrowly define Scripture. And by so doing, we squeeze out how those promises are made for us. You see, I might be maybe living a little bit in a nebulous world. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But I believe when I read something that God has done for something else or somebody else, I believe God will do that for me too. I believe that if God loved David in spite of how foul he got at times and how he sinned, that God can love me too, even when I stumble and I fall. I believe that if God could take a little girl, a little girl who was just budding in her life and make her the mother of Jesus Christ, that he could do anything with any woman, any little girl here on earth, and that it's his heart to do so. I believe that my God can change a nation in the twink of an eye. I believe that my God can undo the sins of mankind. I believe what he says in his conditional promise, if my people, if my people called by name, my name, tell me, tell me the verse, if my people, say it with me, will humble themselves and pray and what? Then I will what? I will heal their land. You see, I believe that. I believe that. I'm waiting to see and hear that even in this country. I'm waiting to hear and see that in many countries. I am, I am one who believes God for every word of the Bible, and I believe you do too. But I also believe we need to put it in action in our lives. And we need to allow those tests in our lives not to deter us, but to be those that reel us in and pull us in. Don't you know that the greatest deceit of Scripture of all time was when Jesus Christ deceived the devil? That's the greatest deceit of all time. He deceived the deceiver himself. The devil thought he got him. The devil thought it was all over. He thought when he was, that limp body was taken off the cross after being nailed and tormented and that the father, he saw the father turn his face away from the son. He said, that's it, it's over with. Little did he know all that was, was a passport for Christ to get into the bowels of hell and to disarm him and to change the eternal and universal laws. And what did it do? It fulfilled the biggest promise of all. That promise that he will restore us as sons and daughters. The greatest promise of all is that all we need to do is believe on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and our sins are forgiven. Can you imagine such a promise? It's mind-boggling. It's bewildering. But it's not only sealed in the Word of God, it's sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Such a promise. And with that singular promise comes all of the manifold blessings of the Father in heaven. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. But when we make our entrance into the place of the Father, it's in that place that he cordials us as sons and daughters. And that's another promise of the world. I will make you sons 
and daughters, new creation beings. You will be co-heirs with Christ in all things. Very interesting. Up until that, that, that dividing point that we've created in Bible between Malachi and Matthew, up until that point, there's a lot of promises that go to God's chosen people, correct? Well, yes, they were chosen, and they still are chosen, but guess what? So are we. So are you. So is everyone, because he says that all of those promises are now yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord, that there's no longer any wall between Jew or Gentile, male or female, that has all been broken down, and all of those promises are vested in the kingdom of God to all of his sons and daughters. So, do not be like some who discard what they call the Old Testament. That's a terrible name for something that is so rich with so much wealth. Be like those who want to, to devour all of Scripture from the very first until the very end. Because inside of that, inside of that, some account that there are 8,800 promises. A guy named Strong, he claims he spent a year and a half. I believe him counting them all, and that's what he came up with. He also said it's about 7,900 of them are promises that God made uh, himself or that were conditional, and then there was another 800 or 900 of them that were spoken through man to it. Another count says there's 3,800 promises. It doesn't really matter because for me, Every time I read Scripture, I find something else that ignites and lights me up with a promise. So I just want to go through a little bit of this with you um, as we prepare ourselves for today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse four, uh, starting in verse 14, if we could please. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. For he himself, Christ is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby putting to death the enmity, the separation." So that when he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Two big points. There's no difference between anybody of faith in the eyes of the Lord. We may have denominational differences. We may have religious differences. But... I want to stun you with something, and that is that I firmly believe this with all my heart, that if people lift up the name of Jesus and believe Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, no matter their traditions or their rituals, however they get there, I believe by God's grace they got a passport to heaven. That's what I believe. Why? Because all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise of God. You see, man, we, and we want to change it. We want to analyze it. And it's okay for us to say, well, I, I think this way is better. I myself make many choices that are better. I don't really believe that, you know, <clears throat> and I've said this many times, and I may jar somebody, but I had to because it became such a fad for a while. And those things come and go. I don't need, I, I need to have a formula how to get into the courts of heaven. 
All I need to do is walk boldly in in the name of Jesus. I don't need a formula. And I don't need to go there to legislate and to judiciate those things of God that he has for me. He's already promised them to me. So it's as if I'm going um, to a judge and I have the title deed of my home, which already has my name on it. And I say, judge, I, I want to verify I have the title deed of my home. He's going to say, get out of here. I have better things to do than that. That's your house. Or, or we go to them and we want to ask somebody, you're healed. How many people have done that? I had a brother who was healed, not, not a flesh brother, but a spiritual brother, very dear to me. God miraculously healed him. I prayed with him. I told him it was going to happen. He was healed of cancer that was in his um, uh, ureter, and uh, he wanted to be double sure, so he continued on with the processes that they said, well, if I was you, I'd go on and do these things. And they explored and looked so many times that they caused damage, damage that now needs to be healed. I said, God will heal that also, but your lack of faith got you where you're at. God already said you were healed. Stop the foolishness. You see, we want somebody to verify something that we already have. You already have the promises of God. You don't need to legislate them. And let's not bother the Lord asking him to verify something he's already verified according to a formula of God. Accept the promises of God. Declare them. Walk in them. Are you sovereign with dominion or are you not? Do you need another step besides Jesus Christ saying, ask what you shall in my name, and according to the Father's will, he shall give it to you? Are you really going to change the will of God in some other process? Are we really going to convince God to do something different than what his plans and purposes are for us? No, it's for us to discover the plans and purposes of God and to activate those in your lives. You know, the Lord will shut doors on certain things because maybe he has a different plan for us. And I can tell you it's happened in my life multiple times. It's happening with Prophet Monty. Brother Monty Irfan is going to come and visit us soon. God suddenly shut a door that he thought was his business for the next four or five years. And, I, and when he called me, I began to rejoice. He said, brother, I'm not where you're at with this. I'm, I'm, I'm very upset. I said, Monty, the Lord is coming soon. He didn't have time for you to do what you're doing for the next four or five years, brother. God has given you a nation in your hands. It's called Iraq. When God gives a nation to somebody, guess what? In God's priority, that's number one. And so with you too, God may have closed the door on, on a vocation, on an opportunity, on something that was dear to your heart. I am, yes, I'm going, to, I'm going to stress with you a little bit if you want me to. I'm going to pray with you, but I'm going to rejoice and pray for God to show you the door that he has opened because it'll be so much better than the one that he closed because that's who our God is. That's who our God is. And if he doesn't stop things that we're doing, we continue to do them and we want to merge them into the new, but God doesn't like to merge the old into the new. It doesn't work very well. Which one of you would get a nice fresh fish from the marketplace, really fresh, a trout that was maybe caught two hours ago, and you go outside and you take an old fish out of the cat's mouth and you put them both in the frying pan and you fry them together. That's what happens many times with what we want to do. We want to take the old and merge it with the new. But God says all things are new for you. Old things have passed away. We like that word, but when the time comes, we have a hard time letting go. 
And one of the keys, one of the principles to allowing the promises of God, the promise, the truth of God to become foundation blocks is to know when and how to let go. There's a time for all things. What I have discovered in my youthful years now, and I'm going to still call myself youthful, is that when I slow down and allow the Lord to make decisions and I don't become rash, something wonderful happens. It may not be the outcome I was thinking about, but it's the best come of what God has. The promises of God are yea and amen in your life, and you should rejoice not because some guy named Strong said there's 8,800 of them or some pastor named Frank is pointing them out to you, but because every word in that scripture and that holy scripture is alive for you today. Whatever you need, whatever the challenge, whatever the problem, whatever the anxiety, God has a, pro has a promise that is bigger than that problem. Yes, we don't know whether to leave or to come and go. My, my beloved, I don't know what I call you, in-laws, what are you? I don't know. You're in between. You're there, but you're here. You don't know, but God knows. God knows. And whatever it is, it's going to be wonderful because you'll allow the Lord to do it in your lives. We have transitions in our lives. Sometimes we have to stop doing things the way we did them because God awakens us that, hey, hey, this isn't the way it should be. How many of you have had God in your life, not once, not twice, maybe multiple times, tighten the purse strings? Huh? How many of you have said, wow, you know, I just thinking back two years ago, I didn't have to worry about these things, but now I, I don't have the revenue that I had and the bills are bigger and God will make a way out for us when those things happen, but we have to help him. We have to stop spending. Huh? We have to, you know, credit cards are very dangerous. I think one of the worst things that can happen for children that go away to college is they find out online they can get a credit card. Every one of those children I've heard about gets in trouble. My oldest daughter hid the fact from me that she crashed and burned on a credit card until a year after she was out of college. She, she filled that thing up in her first year in college. She couldn't make the payments. She didn't have the money. She was going to school. So what did they do? They wanted, they wanted to close in on her. What did I do? I called as the faithful father when she finally put it on my thing. And she said, I can't even get a phone, Dad, to get my job. I said, why? You've got a wonderful job. Well, I have this. I said, give me that. Now, I could have paid it, but I didn't pay it. I called. I called the credit card company. I said, shame on you. They said, what do you mean, shame on me? You know, she's your daughter, right? Yeah, you're the father. What are you calling to tell us? I'm telling to tell you to forgive the debt. And they said, why? I said, because I'm going to sue you. Why are you going to sue me? Because you led her deceitfully into something, knowing she had no income at all, and gave her a credit card, and now you're hanging it over her head. And I said, and when I do bring that suit, I'm going to bring a class action. I think I'm on to something. They forgot the debt. They forgot the debt. Now, would I have sued them? Yeah, I would have. No, I'm <laughs> you know, I think that's, we need to understand that, that it's not scripture that God helps those who help themselves, but the Lord is looking for us to be obedient. He wants us to be good stewards of what God has given us. We must be good stewards. Let me ask you a question. How could we as ministers, how could I as a minister ask anybody else to trust and be a good steward if I wasn't a good steward in this house? How could Patty be one? How could Laura Lee be one? 
How could Dwayne and the team be one? We're, we're, we're very scrupulous. Jim will get five bids on something, sometimes to save $5. We might spend two hours to do it, and you say, well, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous, because God has made us to be stewards of that which God has given us. God has made you to be stewards in your own lives and in your own households. Now, let's go beyond economy. Let's go on to spiritual. God has called us to be spiritual stewards of the promises that he has given us. And, and there are many of those things. Honor thy father and thy mother that your years may be long and healthy. That's a promise of God. We need to be a steward of that. We need to honor mothers and fathers and children need to honor mothers and fathers. Sometimes mothers and fathers or mothers or fathers need to have great, great tolerance until their child learns how to honor them. Hmm? Sometimes it takes a while. But what does the Father done with you and I? He's been pretty patient, hasn't he? He's allowed us to take the lumps and the bumps and to be disobedient to him and not to honor him. And he still loves us and he's still there with us. We understand that it's very difficult to believe all of the commandments of God and especially that one that, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself and that other one, if somebody strikes you, turn your cheek and allow him to strike you again. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Those are tough things to believe. Will God test you in it? I don't know. Maybe not physically, but I'm sure he will test you in it in a relationship. Relationships cause a lot of injury, a lot of damage to people, but we can only allow that be set free in that if we release it and let it go. How do we release it and let it go? We speak to it. It's a mountain. It's a problem. We tell it, be removed. I have dominion and authority over you by the promise of God. Be gone. Your emotions may not catch up with your soul, but I can assure you your soul has been cleansed. It is clear. And eventually your emotions will catch up or you'll come to the point you don't care anymore. And the Lord does it. So many promises of God. Let me just read a few more, please. Let's go to... 2 Corinthians 1.20. For the Son of God, starting in verse 19, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. That one scripture, if we could just believe that one scripture in everything in our lives and believe that this book, this Bible, that does nothing more but memorialize the heart of God is true. If we could just internalize that and say everything in here is real for me, then we have already received victory in every facet of our life. All of the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, all of them. That's why we need to not only know them, but we need to stand on them. What does it mean to stand on the promises of God? It means to be obedient, to believe and be obedient to the things of God. And I have another scripture here that I want to share. Let's look at John chapter 7, verse 38. 
this is probably in the rankings of the top three pro- promises. This is, this is one that should really, really excite you and give you comfort. He who believes in me, Jesus Christ speaking, as the scripture has said, out of his, her heart, will flow rivers of living water. We, we get so simplified in understanding how deep that is. First of all, we all understand what flowing and what a river is, right? But living water, what does it mean, living water? That's a promise of God that if you believe in Him and the Holy Spirit resides in you, everything flowing out of you, every situation that you're in receives abundant life like Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. How deep is that? That's beyond total comprehension. But this I know, and I believe this with all my heart, and I put this to work in all my situations. I believe when I walk into a situation that if I've got my heart tuned up with God, that the living waters that are flowing out of me are going to change that atmosphere. They're going to change that environment. They're going to conform that person. It's happened with me just this last week. Jimmy witnessed it. A person that was doing nothing but antagonizing and fighting and causing issues just totally turned around. And the issue was all the peace of God. It wasn't me. It wasn't my wisdom. It wasn't my words, although they were kind and not combative. They were gentle. They were calm. My voice was low. It was the presence of the living waters flowing from you. Think of those living waters like this. In those living waters are all the promises of God that he has internalized into you as a new creation, a new person, and they can't help but flow out into all the situations that you're in. They flow out. There's a problem, the promise of God flows out. There's a challenge, the promise of God flows out. There's a bear, the promise of God flows out. There's a lion, the promise of God flows out. There's a giant deep in the valley of the shadow of death, the promise of God flows out. There's a bad word from the doctor, the promise of God flows out. There's a challenge in your income, the the, the promises of God flows out. God is saying to us, it's not by what you do that you receive this flow of the promises of God. Listen to me. It's who you are. It's who you are. And it's who he is. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He says, those who abide in me, I give them life abundantly. That's the abundant life. The abundant life is knowing that God fights for you and with you in every situation. He released it in Exodus. Do not fear. I will go before you. I will fight this battle. He tells us he's our strength. He tells us that he's our peace. He tells us that he's our healer. He tells us that by him and through him all things move. And in him we live and move and have our being. And in that being God flows out into all that we are. Oh, the promises of God. The promises of God are beyond anything that we deserve, but yet they're ours. 
And the only challenge we have is to know them and believe them. We could become content at one level of promised knowledge, and that's where we'll stay until the Lord nudges us in another level of faith. And something else, if God is really elevating and using you and me and you to situations and to levels and heights that we feel insecure in or that we didn't realize we were going to, or we're finally stepping out and putting our toes into that river, and change has come and transformation is there, you can expect resistance. God never said that he would make it absolutely easy for us. In fact, the word of God says he will give you nothing that is too hard for you to overcome with him, not by yourself. And so that's why Paul came to that place in his latter years where I can rejoice in these hardships that God has put upon me because I realize that as I decrease, he increases. And I can already count for joy the victory of what the Lord is going to do because of the fact that he's choosing me to show his glory through. So I don't know that I've become calloused, but I've no longer become shook when I see people telling me, oh, I'm really in the test. I begin to tell them, and I think they think I'm maybe not compassionate, but I am. I rejoice. I said, let's rejoice together. God is doing a wonderful thing with you and for you. Let's pray and believe God that you will have the faith and the perseverance to get through to the end of it. That's what he wants us to do. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So the promises of God. One can choose to believe that there's other answers, other solutions that will work our way out of the problems and the situations. I don't see any resolution that's going to come through man for the killing of unborn children. That has to be God. God changing hearts. God moving things. I don't see any solution coming from the heart of humanity that's going to restore the family core. That has to be God working through us and working through people. I don't see any solution to race divisions and racism. How many of you know that that goes all the way back to Abel and Cain? Do you know that? And it has never, ever been resolved. How many of you know that that is an issue that only Jesus, coming through Jesus Christ, can solve? One blood, one new man. I don't believe that there's any solution for political divisions that is going to come from man. I have absolutely no confidence in our Congress, in our Senate, in our executive coming together in any kind of resolution. But I do in Jesus Christ. And this is our one hope. Our one hope is that the Lord will be able to sustain us through these times so that we become the overcomers He has promised us to become. And that we do literally, certainly overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And let our testimony be, I believe you, God. I believe you for everything. 
And finally, Lord, please keep your last promise. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. We thank you that you've given us so many truths. We thank you, Father, that you've given us the opportunity to be able to look into your heart and to understand your mind and your will. And in so doing, Father, that you've promised us to walk in victory with abundance as we grasp these promises. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you indeed are the promise keeper. Help us, Father, to be holy and blameless through Jesus Christ in you as we strive, as we strive, Father, to see your destinies in our lives. Manifest, not for ourselves, but for your glory. Lord, doors you shut, shut them tight and quick. Lord, you open, open them, Father, wide and fast. Let us, Father, not be those who look back, but for any other reason than to look to see how we might improve and maybe not repeat the same things. Let us not even be those who live in yesterday's glory, for that becomes stale quick. Let us be those, Father, who look forward and upward to your glory today and tomorrow in our lives. Be glorified, O oh Lord. Thank you for those living waters that flow from us and through us. We thank you, Father, for the manifestation of your Holy Spirit in this house this morning, even in our worship, Father. Your living water, your Holy Spirit raining down upon us. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name.